Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Dearest listener, allow me to unveil a delightful secret. Snag Tights Craft Clothing that embraces every body shape. In a bold endeavor to revolutionize the fashion realm, Snag has triumphed. Permit me to draw your attention to the ingenious Chub Rub Shorts, crafted with moisture-wicking yarn, promising to keep you at least one degree cooler and utterly free from the discomfort of chafing. Free shipping on select orders. Thus, the more you snag, the more you save. Do not delay. Dear listener, experience the fashion revolution that is snag and visit snagtights.us today. Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Katie's Crib. I am Katie Lowe's. Okay, so expecting mama's no that the moment you find out you're pregnant. The question that shortly follows is, what are you having? And everyone and their cousin is happy to put on their detective hat, share their predictions. Oh, it's a boy because you're craving sweet over salty. Oh, it's gotta be a girl because you're feeling like crap. Then there's also the gender reveal parties, which have really taken off over the years. People are finding creative and at times... (laughs) like very dangerous ways to reveal the sex of their baby to be. And as a mom who was ecstatic, sobbed when I found out I was having a girl, I get it. But I really, it got me thinking how this pink-blue divide affects our kids and what our ideas about what's normal for boys and girls reveals about our society. So here to speak to us today about gender norms and more is Lisa Selen-Davis, Lisa is an essayist, she's a novelist, she's a journalist, and she is the author of the book we are going to be unpacking today. The book is called Tomboy, The Surprising History and Future of Girls Who Dare to Be Different. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me on Katie's Crib. Thank you for having me on. I'm not sure exactly when this episode airs, but I am like three weeks from having a girl, unless she tells me otherwise. But there's inherently different conversations going on than when I had my son. And I am obsessed with Lisa's book. It goes along with a 2017 op-ed in the New York Times that went totally viral. So tell me 
What inspired you to write Tomboy? First of all, I mean, the first thing that led me to write it was having a daughter who veered away from traditional gender norms. So in preschool, when kids were really starting to conform and boys and girls were starting to separate and play differently, girls were starting to play more with girls and boys with boys. My kid was not doing that. My kid stayed right in the middle, played with everybody, played with everything, you know, was happy to play princess, but wanted to be the dog. By the way, since she's going to middle school in the living room, she, I just heard her read a story for her humanities class and it took place from the point of view of a dog. And I was like, she got her wish. Wow. She's, she's, the, dog. <laughs> she's the dog. So as I do with all complicated things in my life, I wrote about that initially and about the complicated feelings around like being a feminist and wanting to have a kid who rejected all that feminine stuff, but then also being confused by it, right? And what happened was over the years, as she continued being different from the other girls, um, very, very kind people who knew her well were assuming that she was trans or wanted a different pronoun or name or to change in the boys' locker room. And it was all out of loving kindness but it was also so based not on what she said, but on gender stereotypes. So it was very confusing for me as someone who was raised hardcore feminist to see the way that all this stuff that we worked so hard to say didn't just belong to boys was making people think that she actually was a boy. So I wrote about that in 2017. There was a big response. I would say most of it positive, but the negative was so negative. And I think the combination of all those things, along with thinking, why were there so many kind of tomboy kids when I was young and there aren't that many today? What happened? It's really yeah. that whole mix of things that led me to think there's a book's worth of material here. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Um You mentioned that there was some backlash from the op-ed, uh, particularly um I was informed that it was from the transgender community. Some. some. Okay, some. Yeah. Okay. When you dug into that sort of stuff, the backlash, what did you, what conversations did you have with them? Well, there were some people who wrote articles arguing against my piece and saying, you know, what I was talking about was how do we support trans kids, but not assume that a girl who is, you know, pushing against gender norms is trans. Right. And I had no idea that I was like, not just stepping on feet, but stepping on landmines with right. this. I did not know that there was a kind of feminist trans culture war going on, which is not monolithic, right? Not all trans people feel one way, not all feminists feel one way. Sure. But there was a very vocal minority of people. And so, some of them felt that I had a son and I was abusing my son and my, you know, they, my, my son was going to kill himself. And, oh my gosh. um, and, and that was like, you know, actually kind of proving my point of like, why, why are gender stereotypes and gender identity the same thing? Mm. And, um, I don't even, it's years later. I don't have a, an answer to that question. I think it's a delicate, difficult thing to talk about. Other people were saying, you're blaming trans people for adults' narrow understanding of gender. So what I did was I contacted 
some of the people who had criticized me. And I also contacted a bunch of prominent trans people like Kate Bornstein. I contacted Chase Strangio, who's a, a lawyer for the ACLU, who had written this very viral piece arguing against mine. Um, a number of uh, trans experts and gender therapists to really say, okay, you think I've got this wrong. Um, let Tell me more about that. Yeah. And, um, and that was a wonderful experience because I did learn to see gender from multiple points of view. And in the end, I don't think I learned that I was wrong. I stand oh, by my original sure. point, but I did learn how to keep those viewpoints in mind as I wrote, how to be more sensitive, how to be more inclusive, and how to write about one of the most difficult subjects in a way that hopefully didn't make vulnerable people more vulnerable. Mm. So it was, it, was a, it was a growth experience. Can you tell me, like, just so that we're all understanding the same terminology, like, what, who is considered a tomboy? What is that? What's the history of the term? Well, it turns out I had to have a basically a whole chapter on defining that term because it turned out to be so hard. To, what does it mean? So it dates back to the 1500s, and it originally meant um, a really boisterous, like, wild, misbehaving boy because Tom means Tom type, Tom cat, Tom turkey means male type and boy meant boy. After that, it started to mean a kind of lascivious, like slutty woman. And then about a hundred years later, it meant a misbehaving girl who acted like a boy. And that was an insult for like 200 years. And in the, in the 19th century, it actually became a term of pride so much so that the whole many parts of the culture started encouraging women to raise their daughters as tomboys. It became a method of child rearing to create healthy, strong girls. Mm. But a lot of the stuff that we would say was tomboyish, acting like a boy, is so rooted in the time, in the culture, in race, in class. And there were things like whistling was considered a boy's activity. So you would be a tomboy if you whistled and <laughs> you would be and you would be you couldn't dress like a boy in the 19th century. It didn't matter what clothes you were wearing, but your clothes might be ripped or torn or shabbier because you'd been playing baseball and climbing trees. So all these things that we think of as boy typical and girl typical, they shift depending on what's happening in our culture at the time. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage from full to cheeky to minimal. 
And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Dearest listener, in a world where fashion oft neglects the true diversity of the human form, Snag emerges as the beacon of inclusivity we so desperately need, renowned for their exquisite tights. Snag has triumphantly expanded its offerings to include garments that embrace everybody. Snag's creations are meticulously designed on a lifelike figures and refined across a spectrum of shapes before gracing our wardrobes. Clothing that not only promises, but delivers true comfort and fit, particularly of note other chub rub shorts ingeniously crafted with a moisture wicking yarn to ensure you remain at least one degree cooler and entirely free from the dreaded chafing perfect for every season these shorts can be discreetly worn under your clothes offering a delightful alternative to traditional cycling shorts whether you are at the gym hiking or simply enjoying a day in a skirt or dress they are your ideal companion remember dear listener the more you snag the more you save with free shipping on select orders. Don't delay in experiencing the fashion revolution that is snag at snagtights.us. When I think of the word tomboy, I immediately go to like characters like Joe March in Little Women. And for me, like tomboy is a positive thing. Yet boys who are interested in like stereotypical girl role norms they're called derogatory terms like sissy, for example. What is the root of this? And what did your research reveal? Oh, yeah. I mean, from the beginning, there's been the idea that this kind of latitude that girls have to cross over into boy territory that's tolerated or even encouraged, that's never happened for boys. I think we're on the cusp of it now. Mm. And there's never even been a positive word for a boy like that. We have Nancy boy, we have sissy. That's, yeah, you terrible. can be clean, right? Yeah. No one wants to be called that. And no one says that appreciatively. Um, one of the things that really surprised me in the research was finding out that until a hundred years ago, young boys and girls until about age six, when they went to school um, were dressed the same and they had long hair and they wore dresses and they wore lace and flowers and frills and none of that stuff was girl stuff and there weren't gendered colors kids were dressed according to age not sex because the way that people understood gender sex and sexuality was that they were all mixed together in their minds 
thinking about a little boy being a little man was forced you to think about them as a sexual being and they didn't want to do that. And, and the reason that that changed was that the, the fields of psychology and sexology advanced and they began to think of gay people as a classification of person. And the idea was that nurture made you gay, not nature. So they started encouraging boys to be in boy clothes because God forbid they right. were wearing dresses and those sort of right. lacy things till they're five or six. Then, right. oh God, we've done something. They might terrible. be feminine and right. then they might be gay because femininity right. and homosexuality were sure. linked together in people's minds. So the, the whole practice of dressing boys in boys clothes and like never putting them in, in pink and frills and whatnot is to make sure that they're not gay. And that was very hard for me to stomach. I'm like, wow, there's homophobia. It's literally woven into our clothes. You know, I can't tell you how different, um, I've, I haven't, I've been very fortunate in that I have not bought a single thing. Um, for my baby coming, uh, I have a lot of friends who had girls and they sent me all their stuff. It looks like the closet barfed unicorns and rainbows of pink and purple. And I, it's such a struggle because the one part of me is like, this is a nightmare. And the other part of me is like, this shit's free. Like, <laughs> I don't want to buy anything. Like, this is amazing. Um, Tell yeah. me about pink and blue. Tell me about where did this divide derive from? Well, first of all, most people don't know mm. what they're participating in, what the roots of it are, and then the messages they perpetuate by participating. They're in not it. even awake to know. Right. I mean, right. they think that there's, there's boy stuff and there's girl stuff. And I think now people say, like, it's fine. So what? What's wrong with pink? And what's wrong? And, you know, nothing. The answer is nothing. The, the problem is the message is encoded in the different toys and activities, clothes, and just the way we treat boys and girls differently. In our minds, we don't. But all the research shows we that we do. And if you don't know the sex of the baby objectively, and someone tells you, you will treat that child differently, which is research that my family has lived when people have, have assumed my child was a boy or a girl. She has actually experienced being treated completely differently right in front of us. And I, wow. think, I think the thing that's important to know about the pink-blue divide and everything that's lumped in it is, you know, pink has only really been considered completely a girl's color since the middle of the last century. And it was contested before when they started gendering colors, maybe in the, in the 20s, sometimes some places would say that blue was for girls because it was associated with the Virgin Mary and pink was for boys because it's part of red and red is masculine. And these ideas were contested and debated and eventually for various reasons, including the growth of suburbia and consumer culture in the 50s and the fact that Mamie Eisenhower, President Eisenhower's wife, loved pink and decorated with pink. And these things happened together to solidify these ideas. There's nothing wrong with pink, right? There's nothing wrong with unicorns. There's nothing wrong with rainbows. Mm -hmm. The problem is that when we mark things as for girls, as feminine, 
we automatically say that they're not as good Un- until like you grow up and if you're gay and you're like, I love unicorns, rainbows mm-hmm. <laughs> and sparkles and it becomes like you reclaim it as pride. But what happens is anything that's marked as for girls gets devalued. And so mm. another really, really interesting. interesting piece of research I read was about how these girls who go through the really intense princess phase, um, sometimes between the ages of three and six, and they only want to wear pink, and they're really like trying to perfect the stereotype and archetype of a girl. And then they turn six, and between six and eight, they start saying, I hate pink, I hate princesses. And they go through a kind of tomboyish phase. Mm. What I learned from the psychologists doing this research of what they call the PFD or pink frilly dress to tomboy phase is that these girls are not just rejecting pink and pink frilly dresses because they realize they're still a girl, whatever they wear, but because they realize that the world looks down on that stuff. So they start pushing that stuff away. Um, and pe- people think, oh, yay, the princess phase is over. But it's actually not something to celebrate because they've actually basically by age six, they've internalized all kinds of sexism. So in our house, you know, everybody wears pink. My husband wears pink. Yep, my super too. my super masculine daughter wears pink. Mm-hmm. My super feminine daughter wears pink. Rainbows are for everyone. Sparkles <laughs> are for everyone. Unicorns are for everyone. And nothing is off limits because it's marked as for one sex or another. We're just not doing it here. This is like a, a safe zone for colors, activities. No one's going to say, I won't do that because it's for boys or I, I won't do that because it's for girls. Yeah, like you can't play with that truck or whatever. Like when you were setting up nurseries, I'm not sure if you did that. Were you super conscious about what colors went in there? What toys? Like, was that a mission for you? Or were you sort of like, that's not a battle I'm fighting right now. And it didn't turn into it until you had your daughter and were actually experiencing her taking the lead on this stuff. So I think when I had my first kid, I was doing what I thought was gender neutral, which I've revised since. Because for me, gender neutral just means you bring everything. It's all open. Everything's on the table. Everything. There's pink, there's blue, and there's everything else. But um, I also got tons and tons of hand-me-downs And I didn't know what I was having. So I kept the girl things that I liked and the the boy things I liked. But I wasn't asking myself, where did I get this idea of what's girl stuff and boy stuff? And when all the kids were segregating by sex and my kid went in the middle of them Mm. and I was like, what what is happening? (laughs) I still didn't ask myself, where did my ex why do I have all these expectations of her based on her body parts? Like, so she, she came out female and then I had all of these ideas of who she was going to be, even though I was raised hardcore feminist. Mm -hmm. My family is filled with, you know, lesbians, like, like there are all kinds of people not conforming to gender in all kinds of ways. And yet I'd kind of fallen into this trap of having sex-based expectations. So what this book allowed me to do was question all of my own assumptions that I didn't even know I had because I assumed as like a lefty and an educated person. Yeah, that 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 doesn't touch you. I feel the same way. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm fine. 
I have so many friends that dress differently and don't conform and love who they love and, you know, wear what they wear. And I found myself with my son, like he's being raised by two musical theater actors and all he wants is trucks. And I was <laughs> yeah. stuck and disappointed as that. I mean, I went a little bit the other way. Like I just was like, yeah. are we really going to an L.A. sanitation department party to look at garbage like we're going to look at garbage trucks because i just yeah. want to do the things that he's leading that bring him joy he's he's three right yeah, he's three yeah so most people i sure did not understand how kids learn about gender and neither did like my pediatrician or any of the grown-ups in my kid's life and we didn't understand that at age three the great bulk of children don't know the difference between gender stereotypes and sex. The ones who are interested in like perfecting being a boy or being a girl, I mean, and, and this actually applies to some trans kids too, right? They want to prove their membership in the group and they know what the rules of membership are. So they know that trucks are part of the membership. And, and for girls, you know, that's why they go through that princess phase. It's all about belonging. Yes. And, and we often think that it's like the the trucks or the pink dresses are what the bio biological needs are about. Like, right. oh, there must be an evolutionary reason that girls love pink. That isn't it. The evolutionary like impetus be behind those behaviors is the human need to belong, exactly yeah. as you're saying. It's like, oh, this is, I've been told that this is my group. And so I'm going to do everything I can to master that group. And then it opens up these questions about kids like mine who, why didn't she conform? Why didn't she need to master the group, the, the group rules? Eventually, I was like, oh, I guess it doesn't matter. I guess it's a wonderful thing to be celebrated mm -hmm. because she's not internalizing all of those gender stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have to do all this work to pull her away from the gender stereotypes because she's living in this like liminal space of freedom naturally. Hallelujah. But then Hallelujah. I had a second one. <laughs> then I had yeah, a second one. That was completely different, right? Yeah. Completely different. Yeah, totally different. I, I keep getting reminded we had Glennon Doyle on the podcast and her oh, kids yeah. are teenagers. And she was saying in the teenage land, which I haven't faced that yet. I'm fucking horrified. But but that it's amazing to see the, even in her bathroom, the words that are used on her son's deodorants and things like that versus her daughters like the sons will are red, white, and blue, and they're yeah. words that are very active. You yeah. know, like let's axe our body odor and kill it. You know, whatever it is, it's very conquering. And then yeah. the female one are like soft colors and very like sensual and words that yeah. are very soft and like, you know. And she's like, even that, it's crazy. Yeah, and the the boys are like, you can smell like wood or nature or like outdoors, or then I don't know. And the girls and the girls are, are, like, are jasmine floral. Yeah, lavender. Yeah. Smell vanilla, like an ornament. vanilla, vanilla. Yeah. Um, what is your opinion of gender reveal parties? Oh, the gender reveal party, it's, it's such a, isn't it such a funny thing oh, and just my. all the disasters that it's led to? Oh my God, it just leads to fires and people getting hurt. And like, I mean, this is a new thing. This is new. 20, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, as someone who's been studying gender really intensely for a couple of years, you know, one of the frustrating things for me about the whole discussion is, 
that most of us don't know what gender means. I mean, and not only that, it means different things to different people. So we have these crazy culture wars that are really about people having different definitions of the same word, competing definitions that do different things. Gender means all of the expectations and the stereotypes, all of the ideas we have about people based on their sex. Mm. Then very often, gender is used as a synonym for sex. Uh So in a gender reveal party, they're actually, it's really a genital reveal party, right? Right. that's that's what you're you're actually because that's all you know no and yeah you don't know even what they're you're, identifying as and you don't know what they're no they have a vagina yeah and you don't know what they're going to be like it doesn't you ha- get an idea of uh, this kid's going to be sweet this kid's going to be you know stay home and take care of the parents this kid's going to marry a nice boy your sex is a predictor of how how people will treat you and interact with you but it's not a predictor of who you're going to become. Whatever we're celebrating when we have a gender reveal party, which is our expectations, our stereotypes, the ideas that we've imposed onto kids because of their body. That's Uh, what I think. I opened up the email saying I was having a girl. Yeah. And I sobbed. Tears of joy. Um, I've always wanted to be a mother to a daughter. And, um, whatever she's into. Like, I don't care if she's a tomboy or whatever. Like I just am really fascinated by a mother daughter relationship and really wanted to experience that in my life. But I have to say my, my son is a very uh, physical player and already we're like, well, we're so happy we're having a girl because he's going to learn empathy and compassion and how to be soft with her. She might not be those things. Like, we don't know. You know, yeah. that's the type of stuff my I'm already putting are, on her. I'm already putting it on her. My kids are wrestlers. I mean, and why? I mean, I think what people often say is if you have one or two kids and you have ideas about gender, that a lot of times those kids will cement those ideas and they'll play into it and you'll say, oh, you're, it is. Girls are like this. And, but when you ask people who have lots of kids, they yes. end up realizing like, oh, we can't just attribute everything to sex or gender the way we... We thought we could. I think it becomes very overwhelming when the veil is lifted and you see how you're participating in these ideas. Um, I think what's happened for us is we've trained our kids in it so much that they call us on stuff all the time. Oh, I love that. I still don't know how to even talk about my kids' sex or gender. Like when people ask me, you have girls, boys? And then I'm always like, Technically, I have girls, but then you're going to get an image in your mind that's actually not going to be accurate for either of them, because the truth is one of them looks very masculine, um, but is really very sweet and kind. And the other one looks very feminine and will beat you to pulp and is really aggressive and likes wrestling. And I think we have gotten to the point where we went from a hundred years ago where you wouldn't even talk about the sex of your child Mm -hmm. to it's all we talk about. Mm -hmm. And we can settle back somewhere in the middle where we stop attributing everything to their sex or gender. And I was the same way. I wanted to have two girls. I didn't want to have any boys. Mm -mm. I didn't want to figure out circumcision. And I also, I just thought, why is a good man so hard to find? It must be really hard to raise one. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't know about that. And yet I got these two girls who are so 
different. And I don't know who, who's going to identify as what. Um, I've been hearing about parents raising their kids as babies that are their children that are being brought up without gender designation from birth. Do you think that's necessary, confusing, good, bad? Um, yeah, I'm friends with a woman doing that. I became friends with her from interviewing her. Yes, she's um, in the book. Her name is Kyle Myers, and she's fantastic and super smart. And um, she and I are talking about very similar things about trying to figure out how to raise kids without the imposition of gender messages. And But she's much more focused on gender identity. And so although she knows the sex of her child, and I think that like the teachers know the sex of her child, she and her partner decided to raise um, their kid Zoomer with they, them pronouns and let Zoomer choose a gender identity when they were ready to. And a, that kind of protective bubble of ambiguity I'm talking about is um, something that they tried to create in a, a much more comprehensive way. Wow. And I think that that's a fine and good way to do it. Um, I don't think most people are ready to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things Kyle and I talked about was let's say you still want to acknowledge the sex of your baby. You still want to use the pronouns associated with the sex of the baby. How do you still create all that space? And the way I do that is by talking about trans and non-binary and genderqueer people with my kids mm -hmm. and, and really telling them like what I've been saying all along, which is the sex of your body is not a predictor of anything. It's not a predictor of how you're going to identify. Um, it's not a predictor of your sexuality. It's just, it's your sex. I hope, I hope my kids love their bodies. Um, but I think that what Kyle and other people raising babies are doing are trying to create space for those kids. And I think there are different ways to do it, but I do know that the more I can remove the gender messaging from my kids' worlds, the freer that they are to explore and figure out who they are and who they want to be and feel like everything's available to them. No, and I love this idea. See, it's it's so great talking to you because I'm like, oh, if she does do a princess phase and it ends, I'm going to be like, oh, thank you. Good Lord. Let's get the hell out of this. The feminist in me, like, oh, my God, this yeah. is terrible. Like, these yeah. princess movies and the girl getting the guy and the happy ending. This is crap. Yeah. And then you're saying, actually, it's the opposite. It's like not to push them to keep doing it, but I'm saying like it's not a bad thing. Like it's keeping all these things available at all times. Right. Exactly. And never using girly as an insult. Yeah, right. Ugh. These are all things I never questioned. Right. These are just things I went along with and just assumed that the princess thing was bad because yeah, the messages in those princess movies are, are yeah. bad, but you know, they go from feeling proud of being a girl and proud of being feminine to feeling shame about it and having to push them away. And boys at the same age, don't go through a phase where they feel like, Oh, I'm going to say I hate blue and I'm going to wear tutus, right? It only happens to girls and boys often get, dig down even harder into I only do boy stuff because they've also realized, oh, it, girly is an insult. 
all of the discussions that are about toxic masculinity or about girls' low self-esteem are all rooted in these early years of understanding gender and gender hierarchy. I don't think we need to keep going down this path if we become aware that it exists. We don't even see that we're on it. I mean, I sure didn't. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Dearest listener, in a world where fashion oft neglects the true diversity of the human form, Snag emerges as the beacon of inclusivity we so desperately need, renowned for their exquisite tights. Snag has triumphantly expanded its offerings to include garments that embrace everybody. Snag's creations are meticulously designed on a lifelike figures and refined across a spectrum of shapes before gracing our wardrobes, clothing that not only promises but delivers true comfort and fit, particularly of note other chub rub shorts ingeniously crafted with a moisture wicking yarn to ensure you remain at least one degree cooler and entirely free from the dreaded chafing perfect for every season these shorts can be discreetly worn under your clothes offering a delightful alternative to traditional cycling shorts whether you are at the gym hiking or simply enjoying a day in a skirt or dress they are your ideal companion remember dear listener the more you snag the more you save with free shipping on select orders. Don't delay in experiencing the fashion revolution that is snag at snagtights.us. Do you think it's time to retire the word tomboy? So I think we're in such an interesting place with language. And I feel like tomboy was this word that did so much work for so long because a girl could say, I'm a tomboy, 
And then people would change their expectations of her. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, she's going to play sports. She's going to climb trees. She's going to have short hair. She's going to wear sweatpants. It made people leave them alone. Some of them. For some of them, it didn't work, especially trans boys who were being told you're just a tomboy and you're not actually trans. But I think for the great bulk of girls for a century and a half, this word gave them what I called in the book, a protective bubble of ambiguity. Mm -hmm. They could just be this other person. Right. And then the word stopped working because feminists were like, this word sucks. It's too masculine for a girl. And other people were like, we should call these kids gender nonconforming because it's gender neutral. And other people were like, just call them girls. The language matters less to me than stripping away our expectations of how someone should be Um, who they should love, how they should dress, what activities they should do based on their bodies. That's where I want to put the focus. If if you want to call yourself a tomboy as a shorthand for don't expect of me what you expect of other girls, that's fine. If you want to say gender nonconforming, that's great. You have this idea about me because of my body and and I want you to change that idea. Whatever words we come up with to help people with that are fine with me. I think it's fine to retire the word tomboy, but I think we should do it with reverence and a thank you for all the room it gave girls for, you know, totally years. I totally agree. Um, so I keep hearing about countries like Sweden, um, which the, the, a place where, they're introducing this national gender neutral pronoun and they have gender neutral schools and where sex differences are de-emphasized. What do you think it'll take for the United States to achieve something like what Sweden has? I don't think that having like a million words for kids is necessarily what we need to do, but rather just stop making so many decisions based on sex and gender like they do in Sweden. Stuff is for everybody. Haircuts are for everybody. Colors are for everybody. Sign them up for the same activities. What's it going to take to do that? I mean, decades of... Oh, my God. Decades of of work. Decades of repairing the psyche and soul of our nation after, you know, this reign of terror and sowing of discord and hatred and really good education for children that teaches them how to think critically and to how to ask, where did my ideas of normal come from? And not feel so threatened by that. Right. Thinking critically, just thinking critically, like you go past a billboard. Who is that? Like, why was that made? Who is that for? I was never raised like that to question what was being fed to me. Um, Hmm. Me too. I am also a regular person, but I feel like through this research, I I feel better about my parenting. I feel better about my decisions. I feel better about like h- how to mitigate the messages that my kids get. Technically, I don't have a boy, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have to worry so much about like uh, raising a person who's going to treat women badly. But when you think about what happens when you have a girl and you don't have to throw out your boy hand-me-downs, right? You can keep a lot of your son's clothes for her. Yes. But if it was the other way around, you wouldn't be sharing them. 
And now you're realizing like, oh, there's all this stuff he's never even had access to because it was girl stuff and I didn't show it to him. And, and so what kind of idea does that build in a boy's mind about girls? That their stuff, I shouldn't touch it. I shouldn't like it. What happens then when they are interested in it? And what kind of shame gets developed if boys learn to appreciate what's thought of as girly, to respect it, to be interested in it, then I think there's a better chance that they're not going to have to deal with toxic masculinity later, that they'll be more respectful and kind and in touch with their own femininity because femininity as we conceive of it in the society does not just belong to females and God, nor does no. masculinity. Absolutely. We know this, we know it. And yet like we, nobody we cries more than my dad. Like <laughs> nobody on the planet. This guy cannot make it through sentences these days. It's crazy. What a great model that is. How great that he feels like he can. Oh my God. It's, it's like, it's crazy. This is, okay, before we wrap up, what yeah. would you like parents and young kids today to take away from Tomboy? It was the great intellectual experience of my life writing this book. I learned so much and I, my mind was blown over and over again. I got to talk to so many interesting people and also to help more people be familiar with their work. I've always been interested in the construction of normal. In my family of nonconformists, normal was kind of an insult. So it's really important for us to ask where our ideas of normal come from and to decide how much we want to participate in that or not. I think most importantly for us to be aware of how much stock we put in these bodies, how many expectations we impose onto them, how much we are participating in telling kids who they should be based on their bodies. I don't think it's that hard to undo it. I really don't. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you don't have to practice it every day. Like, you know, meditation for the people who do that. I really wish I was one of them Me too. or, you know, or exercise, all of the things that are good for you, but hard to do. This is another one. It's good for you. It takes a little push because you're going against the grain, but a lot of people are feeling like culture is something that you can't change. But what I learned from doing this research is that it's changed many times because we've pushed back against the restrictive ideas of who girls should be. And now it's time to bring boys along in that project. And let's see who our kids will be if they feel that freedom. The last thing I would wanna say is near the end of the book, I came across all this research about how girls who are called tomboys in these research studies, and even boys who might be called sissies or gender nonconforming, the research showed that they did better in school, that if they were facilitated and supported, they tended to have more self-confidence. The higher girls rated on kind of tomboy scales, uh, the higher paying job they would have. And oh all of these, the more, cre the more creative they would be. Like, and, and that basically... Having a kid who is gender nonconforming, and I mean that not as a gender identity, but as a way of being in yep, the world, yep, yep, yep. that it's correlated to all this really good stuff because gender norms are bad for kids. Mm -hmm. 
So if you have a kid who is naturally resistant to gender norms, instead of being worried about that, my message is celebrate that. You are so lucky and encourage other kids to follow suit and just do their own thing and feel those kids feel free. Lisa, this was incredible. Obviously, in this hour conversation, I feel completely prepared and like I'm pro level yes, at the yeah. gender conversation between my son and daughter. <laughs> the book is wonderful. I can't recommend your book more. And, and I just thank you, Lisa, so much for being on Katie's Crib. That was so wonderful. Thank you, Katie. Everybody, I want to hear your thoughts, your questions, your comments. Thanks for listening. You can always reach me at katiescribbatshondaland.com. Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Look out. 